let's jump in with Playing Politics, partnership between WCCO Radio and the Star Tribune editorial board for years and years. DJ Tice and John Rash from the Star Tribune are here on the Centerpoint Energy Home Service Plus Hotline. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Chad. We just we're talking before you guys came on about the governor's decision, the announcement tonight. Let's talk about the politics of it. John, you first. Um, early on, the governor received a fair amount of support from Republicans, including the leaders. Uh, over the last few months, there's been a fair amount of pushback. What is your sense politically how this is going to play with Gazelka, Doubt, and other members of the Republican Party when he makes the announcement, which you'll hear right here on CCO at 6 o'clock tonight? It won't be like mid-March, but it won't be like mid-summer where the legislative rebellion was at full flower. I think that the numbers are so stark, the statistics so scary, and the horrible hospitalization rates is such a threat to every part of the state that you will have some legislators who understand that in order to borrow a phrase from the beginning of the pandemic, flatten the curve and make sure that our hospitals aren't overrun, that some mitigation effects need to take place. The fact that the governor is not using as what he has called a blunt instrument of a complete shutdown, but trying to be a bit more selective. I think that that might cool the rhetoric a little bit, but in reality, that probably won't last long. And indeed, you know, once the numbers hopefully are able to stabilize here relatively soon, there probably will be calls as there were earlier on during this crisis to open up Minnesota and to allow bars, restaurants, gyms, and, and especially youth sports to get going again. So um, I think that there will be a little bit of a rallying effect, but it may not last long. Doug, how about you? Yeah, I think the um, uh, reaction will be, by comparison, uh, muted. You know, the simple fact that we're past the election uh, turns the temperature down, and the fact, frankly, that we've had an outbreak of uh, COVID among GOP senators, uh, including Majority Leader Gazelka, uh, probably has brought uh, the reality of the situation uh, home to them to some degree. Uh, you know, so I think it, it will. There'll be more support than there was during the summer when people kind of felt like we had uh, gotten through this thing. Uh, on the other hand, you know, it's a it's a severe blow. Uh, the people who are going to be out of work for the next month uh, and businesses that are going to be shut down. Uh, and we were having some you know, discussion this morning. I think it's just hard for people, frankly, who are in government and making these decisions and, and candidly people like us, uh, you know, who are doing most of the commenting on it, but who have jobs that you can do from home. And, you know, haven't been thrown out of work right. by this. I think it's hard to, you know, see the reality of it for uh, uh, for the people most affected. And uh, John this morning was, uh, you know, talking about the effects of shutting down all these sports programs on uh, on young people and, and families with those young people. Uh, and, it, you know, it's a very serious impact for them, too. So I, as John suggested, I think... There'll be uh, there'll be a more muted reaction, but it won't uh, it won't stay that way. And Chad, Doug, I'll start with you. Amplify, yeah, go ahead, John. I was going to say just to quickly amplify DJ's analysis. I think another difference, and, and DJ was right to point this out, 
not only was there a rallying effect in in March when this initially happened, but you also had some economic aid to individuals, institutions, small businesses, and unfortunately, the congressional cavalry is not coming at this point. Something late may happen, but you don't have anywhere near the resources that are out there, and this is going to hit a whole lot of businesses and a whole lot of workers really hard. So I think that might add to the pressure to make this um, to uh, increase calls to get back to where we were at least in midsummer happen sooner rather than later. JJ, what was your view of uh, how this story played out when the news came out uh, that up to four uh, senators on the Republican side had tested positive, that initially a memo was sent out only to the Republican members, not to the Democrats. The belief still is that at least those members were not exposed to Democrats, but maybe staff members potentially were. Paul Gazelka took uh, some public criticism. The minority leader, Susan Kent, uh, called for his resignation. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Gazelka, fairly quiet, but then put out a statement saying, I learned my lessons. What would you view of that? Well, I guess uh, Gazelka's statement was as close as we're going to get to a uh, to a public apology. You know, I, I thought it was, as, as we said in our editorial on the subject, you know, it was a lapse of judgment that really shows how politicized this thing had become, that it just wouldn't be the automatic response to let everybody who might potentially uh, be affected know what's uh, what's going on. You wouldn't necessarily have had to give the particular names uh, you know, so I, you know, I think just really a sign of uh, how out of uh, a perspective we've gotten on this uh, this thing and and politicized and and hopefully there there will be a lesson learned uh, and uh, you know and and uh, we won't see a repeat of that kind of thing. So I, I thought it was a, a real mistake on their part. I thought it was too, uh, John. And you know, you you can disagree with Paul Gazelka's politics, but he's a smart, responsible person. And, and I just think this was pretty easy for him to handle. He communicated, communicated to the place uh, in Lake Elmo and be very clear. And it seems to me still it was just an attempt to initially try to keep this quiet, keep it out of the public, to be worried about the pushback. And eventually they couldn't keep it out of the public. Of course, and they shouldn't keep it out of the public because these people interact with the public. And. You know, DJ mentioned uh, youth sports leagues as an example. There is really well-established and followed protocol if or when a player or a participant in a youth sports league comes down with COVID in terms of what that player needs to do, what the team needs to do, and all the people who need to be communicated with, the opposing teams, people they may have come into contact with. It's, number one, remarkable if the legislature doesn't have the same kind of protocols in place given how deeply steep they are in policy over there and number two that there just wasn't the judgment and again this isn't as dj's right to point this out it was a significant lapse in judgment it is not about politics in terms of how different senators feel about tax policy or environmental policy or the direction of the state it's basic common sense and common decency in terms of how you interact with your coworkers. And in reality, their DFLers and Republicans are Senate colleagues, and they certainly should have been informed, and Democrats, and I think many others had, had every 
right to be upset and at minimum disappointed on the lack of transparency by the Senate Republicans. And you're right that Senator Gazelka eventually did come around, if not a public apology, at least a public acknowledgement. This could and perhaps should have been handled better. Short pause and let's come back and get to the breaking news of the day involving the Senate. Two prominent Democrats saying we're no longer Democrats anymore. Let's talk about that story and the implications when we return. More of Plain Politics with John and DJ in moments on CCO. It's uh, 148 on WCCO. A story first broke by a friend of the show, Tom Hauser, this morning. But I'll read from the uh, strip account, too influential. State senators from the Iron Range, including a former majority leader, announced Wednesday they are splitting from the DFL party to form an independent caucus in the narrowly divided state Senate. One more graph here. The decision by Tom Bach and David Tomasoni will likely further shift dynamics at the state legislature next year. The decision means instead of a 34-33 split in the GOP-led chamber, the Senate now will be comprised of 34 Republicans, 31 Democrats, and two independents. John, this from these two individuals is a repudiation of the Democratic Party is it it, or are we going to see more Democrats potentially join these two individuals? There probably won't be too many, if any, more Democrats to join these two individuals because the DFL is facing a crisis that they have far too few greater Minnesota legislators. It's increasingly a suburban and an urban party, and yep. it is really quite a crisis for the party, even though these two have said that they are not becoming Republicans. That's not what this is about. Former Senate Majority Leader Bach has, has said this frees them up to vote and caucus more at times with the Republicans in terms of coming together on certain issues, particularly those that are important to the Iron Range and Northeast Minnesota more broadly. And it really uh, exemplifies you know, the, the electoral challenges the party just went through beyond the uh, urban and suburban core and some of the challenges they face as we now head into another election cycle when all the statewide constitutional offices, including the governor's uh, governorship, is, is up for election as well. So this is a pretty big blow to the DFL. They will probably say otherwise, but there's no question that this is not a good development. Doug, I'd say this. If you, if you look at the results of the election, um, and you put aside briefly the presidential count, and you look at how the Democrats were convinced they were going to have this blue wave in the House and blue wave in the Senate and in, in state houses, didn't come close to happening, not even close. Uh, Republicans have gained in the House. Now we're still waiting on Georgia in the Senate. Uh, I thought Charlie Cook, the Cook Report, had a great item the other day where you had races that were pick'em in the House, 27 out of 27 of those pick'em races went to Republicans. There is an enormous divide in the party for the Democrats right now on the AOC, Bernie Sanders wing, to closer to the center where Bach and Tomasoni have uh, viewed their positions for decades and decades. Yes. Well, you're absolutely right, and of course, uh, here in Minnesota, another feature of of this uh, evolution or or revolution uh, taking place was the 
defeat of Colin Peterson uh, yeah. in western Minnesota in the 7th District. This was a 30-year uh, Democratic House member, very influential, longtime uh, chair of the Ag Committee, uh, was ousted by Michelle Fishbach, a Republican uh, out there, and really uh, almost nationwide, he's the last of his kind, an influential uh, yeah. rural Democrat. Uh, and, you know, it's a problem, frankly, for rural areas that they're, they're becoming, uh, you know, so uh, monolithic in their political representation, but that is the, the direction of things. And, and John is right, it, it really is a transformation of the, of the parties. Uh, it's not that the, air, the uh, geographic areas where the voter blocks are, are changing. The Iron Range hasn't changed a bit. Uh, the DFL has changed, and it has become That's it. Uh, an urban, suburban, professional, managerial, uh, and and minority uh, party, and doesn't have a lot of room for the you know the rural uh, white population, whether it's in an industrial area like the Iron Range uh, or or the farm country, uh, and it doesn't it's not easy to see how that uh, how that changes anytime soon. John, here's another example. Today, the uh, Democrats and Republicans nominated who they would like to lead their parties in the House. The individuals remain the same. Kevin McCarthy for the Republicans and Nancy Pelosi for the Democrats. I had Dean Phillips on last week. Dean Phillips made the point that I think you hear from many centrists and moderates within the Democratic Party that it's time for new leadership. It's time for younger leadership. They don't feel like Pelosi um, represents where the party is now, and they don't believe she represents it in the best way across the country. But again, nobody opposed her. So the the power is not going to change with Nancy Pelosi. You're quite right. I think there would have been more of a representative rebellion if it wasn't announced that this was going to be her last term as Speaker of the House, whether she continues to serve in Congress beyond that remains to be seen. But it also points out... And if she, and by the way, I'll just chime in, and if she lives up to those words, too, right? We've watched so many Democrats and Republicans over the years say one thing, and then when it gets to it, mm, let's see. Indeed, and it does point out to a broader ideological fight that's going on within the Democratic Party, where the seats, as DJ so rightly points out, they lost all of them that were pick them seats at that point. And part of it is the Republicans were quite successful in using terms like socialist and, you know, and uh, trying to radicalize many representatives who clearly don't believe in that. And in particular, you know, if you look at places like South Florida and South Texas, where you have many people who came from societies where socialism was authoritarianism, those are, you know, they're not thinking of Sweden, they're thinking of Venezuela or Cuba. And so, you know, I think that on the presidential level, perhaps the progressives were able to bring out more people, be the difference in some of these states. But on the congressional level, it worked the other way. And the Republicans had a route in in many of these highly contested seats. And this is going to be something you're going to hear more, not less about, as we head into the next election cycle. And, you know, there's, a, there's another aspect of this that's almost more, even more ominous uh, for the Democrats, and that is that among the minority voter populations, they did not get the kind of clean sweep and, 
you know, a total coalition where they uh, scored, ran up big votes in uh, all all different communities of of color. They have problems in the Latino communities in Florida and in South Texas, uh, out in California, a an attempt to roll back some of the restrictions on affirmative action failed out there because mm-hmm. the yep. uh, Asian uh, voters and the Latino voters, uh, you know, don't see it the same way as the uh, African-American population. So, you know, they have divisions, uh, you know, within those segments of their of their coalition as well that that may grow and become uh, more complex to deal with. And then Good very stuff, briefly, guys. Yeah, yeah go ahead, very John. Briefly, you have you have a lot of churn on the Republican side. DJ is quite right, but you have some of that traditional professional managerial class that used to vote Republican for candidates like Mitt Romney and George W. Bush, who went towards Joe Biden this time because they they couldn't stand with President Trump um, in terms of how he has comported himself in, in the office. So you have some churn in the parties that is going to really be dynamic, I think, uh, in the next two years. Absolutely. Excellent. Thanks, guys. We'll talk next week. John Rash and DJ Tice, Plain Politics.